Welcome to the Denker Capital Podcast, where our highly experienced team of in-depth thinkers and other experts share their insights on a range of investment-related topics. In this podcast, we have conversations about developments in South African and global markets and what these may mean for investors. We analyze specific stocks and sectors and explore general themes relating to the fundamental principles that underpin sound investment decisions in an ever-changing world. It's the 31st of August 2022, and we've just come out of results season for the global financial sector. In this episode, our Head of Business Development, Nigel Barnes, speaks to our global financials team who share their feedback from their recent company engagements. Looking at company fundamentals and valuations, investors are currently spoiled for choice in this sector. Hello, and welcome to the Denker Capital Podcast with me, Nigel Barnes. I'm very pleased today to be joined by the Denker Financials team, of course, led by Koki Koyman. Hello, Koki. Welcome. Um, Barry de Kock has joined us, uh, and also Ben Koyman, um, all the way from Durban, eh? because yeah. you ran from Marisburg to Durban, Correct. downhill this year, Ben. How did that go? Oh, it went okay. Painful today, so glad to be done, but no, we can't complain. I'll see you, I'll see you got tackies on and not slops, so the feet's obviously not feeling too bad. Yesterday was still a 50-50 call on what to wear, but this morning I just about could make it into the shoes. So. Okay, good. Well, well done. Well done in your run. I'm going to come to you first, actually, because we've we just come out of results season in the financial sector. Um, I know you've been on the road a little bit. Give us a bit of an update as to where you've been and, and what the feedback's been like out there in the market. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. Um, yeah, I've just come from about two months in Europe, um, generally the core Europe. So it was mainly focused on this time around Netherlands, France, Belgium, Switzerland and Austria and seeing the various companies there. And I mean, on the ground, if you look at Europe, there's still no sign of recession. Everyone's still, the restaurants are full, no one's too stressed, but there are obviously signs coming through in terms of people a bit worried about the gas prices going up and what that does to their household income and then the companies themselves obviously on higher interest rates which benefits them but how their customers react but to so when i ask them on those two risks then both they see as very well managed in terms of interest rate hikes generally the Consumers fix their mortgages, so they're not, which is often the biggest pain. Mm-hmm. So they aren't too influenced by that, and the banks benefit a lot from the other spreads. And then, in terms of the higher gas prices, I mean, it does hurt the consumer on the lower end, sure. but that's a very, very small portion of their book. So the Q2 results were amazing, to use other words. I mean, it's a lot still, the beats theoretically are on lower provisioning than people expected because. The market still expects a lot of bad debts, which aren't coming through. And the company's guidance and talking to them, they see very little risk of getting that wrong at this point. I mean, so they see the risks, but at the moment, their books are just really well maintained. And they've been so conservative for the last five or six years. And the European loan growth has been so low that they haven't been taking risks and that's been going elsewhere. So at this point, they are you know, very happy about where their banks are situated. Earnings are looking good across the board. And I think the one benefit they've got, they've come into this situation with a lot of excess capital. So their dividend yields are well, payouts of 50%. So the yields can be anything between 5 to 8%. A lot of the banks have got buyback programs so they can buy back at strong valuations and those are being increased 
So, yeah, I think it's been a very good set of results. At this point, management are very confident and looking forward to the rest of the year. Okay. That's great to hear. Um, and very much is aligned with what, you know, Pocky, you as a team have been saying um, yes. over, over the course of the last, I suppose, year or so. Ben, was there any particular standouts in terms of um, individual counters or companies that, you know, you would reflect on in the last couple of months? So, yes, I think the European banking sector, for a reason, has got a very bad rep because they were you know, struggling for a long time and they are low growth. But we've been investing in a new company, Barwag or Barwag in Austria, mm-hmm. which has done incredibly well. For It's listed in 2015 and we've been following it for the last three or four years, closer and closer. And we finally took a stake now this year. And it's a company which has done incredibly well at just doing the simple things correctly and buying cheap companies and fixing them with very low cost. And so it gives you, yeah, ROE's been over the last five years about 16% and it's now trading at book and it's got a buyback program for 10% of its market cap with a divi yield of 8%. So, yeah, we've started, I met the CFO there. He's still very optimistic and, yeah. Great. All right. Thank you. Barry, turning to you now because it's also clearly been, you know, results period for, for you as well in the insurance sector. And I know you've also been looking at, at Latin America. Give us your feedback, please, if you would. Sure, Nigel. So... I would say for, for Q2 this year in our insurance exposure, uh, the results were largely better than we'd expected. Um, part of our thesis for the last couple of years now has been that, that pricing in this sector has been rising and that's been good for underwriting margins. We continue to see that again at this quarter sure. as in the industry at large, prices continue to rise faster than loss costs. But in particular, at our companies, it's rising meaningfully ahead of what, what they estimate their loss costs are rising at. I think listening to managements on the call and having a few calls with some of the other companies that, that, that we don't own, the general tone from CEOs is that they are pretty confident pricing should continue to harden into next year. And given the lag between when prices go up and when we see the improvement in the loss ratio, that means we should see margins continue to improve or at the very least stay stable for the next 12 to 18 months, which again is good for the for the for the growth of the companies and the profitability. Sure. What I think was was ahead of expectations is just how much the companies are benefiting from higher interest rates. Traditionally, they are less sensitive to interest rates than banks and other more cyclical financial companies, but they do benefit. They have short duration bond-like portfolios that are rolling off and being reinvested at higher rates at the moment. And that I think is now going to add to our estimates of, of book value growth. And I think the market is slowly realizing that. So if you listen to, to, to managements, once again, interest rates increasing is beneficial to net investment income, which helps the results. Mm-hmm. And underwriting is going pretty well because they are, are, are improving the margins. Okay. I think there's certainly risks around elevated frequency and severity of weather events. But that's why we partner with what we think are the best underwriters out there. It's what they're paid to do and it's business as usual. So, so as I said, I think our expectations of kind of low double-digit growth uh, are looking increasingly conservative. Uh, growth in book value per share is looking quite conservative if we look out another year or two. Okay. And then um, the same question to you. Any particular standouts in terms of companies? I think our biggest standout this, this uh, quarter would be Arch Capital. It's, it's one of our biggest holdings. Uh, just as a reminder, there are three different businesses within that business, uh, insurance, reinsurance, and mortgage insurance. I think the, the highlight there was the, the uh, reserve releases in the mortgage insurance business. They've been ultra conservative in, in reserving over the last 
two years, basically since the onset of COVID. And uh, they are now benefiting from that conservatism as they release the redundant reserves. Then they also showed just sort of a little bit of management class in that they de-risk their investment portfolio well ahead of most other companies uh, in our universe. So when we saw markets sell off, they took much less of an impact uh, because they had obviously gone more into cash than a lot of lot of their competitors, and then they are now taking advantage of lower valuations and, and equities and bonds yeah. with that cash buying up. And then I think that again that will help the investment results going forward. Excellent, thanks, Barry. Um, and just quickly on Latin America. So, so Latam is a small position in the fund. It's I think around three percent. We've become increasingly positive on the region um, in absolute terms, but also on a relative basis in the last few months. Uh, basically, almost in the last year or so. Firstly, in terms of, of Brazil and Mexico, those are kind of our, our preferred com- uh, countries at the moment. Mm-hmm. From a currency perspective, you have attractive real yields there relative to the rest of the world. So we think that should, should support them. Mexico has, again, relatively attractive fiscal dynamics. And despite all the risks around the, the president that came in a few years ago, he's been remarkably stable. Mm-hmm. Brazil, on the other hand, are benefiting from higher commodity prices or elevated commodity prices, despite the fact that they sort of decelerated a bit recently sure. and that has two benefits it obviously benefits in terms of trade but it also it also helps for tax revenues for the government and as you know longer term brazil does have a, an issue with their fiscal dynamics but i think they've got a bit of breathing room for the next for the next while as as prices remain yeah. uh, elevated sure. and then looking at the company specifically again particularly in brazil there is a lot of pessimism in the in the valuations okay. and that is around macro outlook um, and I think there's there's elections coming up fairly soon in Brazil, so there, sure. there's a bit of risk there. But I think our view is just that the, the valuations where they are today reflect most of that pessimism without the, the the sort of any benefit to what could go right. And if you look at Brazilian banks over the last decade plus, they've been remarkably stable, their results, through crises, economic crises, political crises, fiscal crises. The banks have been extremely strong. Uh, we think they're through the worst of the asset quality normalization, let's call it, as opposed to deterioration. Um, and then again, interest rates are close to 30, over 13% in Brazil. So as I mentioned, the attractive real yields, high rates are also positive for banks. And then if we look if we look at Brazil relative to the rest of the world, I think they are the one country that's most likely ahead of inflation. So we should see rates uh, come down within the next year or so in, in Brazil. And that's obviously good for consumers and good for growth. So I think uh, fairly, fairly optimistic there, and that's why we've added a bit to our positions. Okay, Barry, thank you. Talking to you now, it sounds like you might have a bit of a problem here. The team are bringing you lots of positives and amazing Q2 results, to quote uh, to quote Ben. Um, a lot of good stuff coming across your desk. What have you been up to? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you summarise it very well. I mean, both 2008 or during 2008 and also the European sovereign debt crisis. We forget 2011, the world was really worried and justifiably so about Italy defaulting on its debt, Greece going under and sure. you know, the European banks collapsed then. And uh, I, I had sleepless nights during those periods. Literally, I had to go to a doctor to give me tablets to be able to sleep, sure. trying to work out where this was going to go. And this time around, I actually sleep very well. Uh, because of the ideas that are coming through. You know, just on Ben's visit, again, what really was good, uh, him and I've, I've actually done a few just to the UK and, and uh, as well before that, is refining managements are so welcoming us. 
And again, it is just so nice to be able to sit across the table physically sure. <laughs> with them. Ben got quite a few interviews with CFOs and CEOs. And, you know, just because what you find again on, on a, a actual sitting across the table before and after the discussion, you start talking about the competition. Yeah. And you talk, what is this guy doing? What is this by bank doing? What is and that's really with exchange of information. So I think this trip for Ben was really worthwhile and the feedback I was getting again just in terms of giving you confidence in terms of what you're doing. Okay, so what have you been doing? <laughs> yeah. Um you know, when I think back in terms of what really has made Denk uh, uh, and Denk Global Financial special is is because we're fairly small, but we've got more than 30 years' experience of doing this, built up a huge network, a huge knowledge base. So we're always searching for opportunities that have the right quality and are in a good environment and have a good valuation. And suddenly, as you said, we're actually now spoiled for choice on the valuations. The valuations are back to even in some cases below where they were in 2011 when the world was really worried uh, so we're thinking about on what is the market right or what are we missing? And each management team, we're asking that question as well. What what would make the market right? Sure. Look at your valuation. We had uh, South African uh, listeners will, will relate this to Absis results, which Absis results were actually spot on in line with what we see in the rest of the world. Yeah. Very good result. Yet the price to book is 1.1. So we asked Absa Management as well, you know what? They've got four times reserves or their bad debts are four times covered. So the bad debts could afford to go non-performing yeah. book four times higher. That's a lot. It's the so highest in history. And then they've still got more capital than they've ever had before relative to the size of their book. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, what, what would make this a bad environment? What would make the market right globally, not only in South Africa? And they went back to EG 2008. Yeah, we just think of what was happening. People forget it. it was AIG fell over. It yeah. was Lehman Brothers. It was Washington Mutual. It was its equivalent in South Africa of investors waking up or reading the business day the next morning and finding that uh, Old Mutual has gone into liquidation and yeah. Investec has gone. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the type of environment that they've got reserves for. They've been forced to hold reserves for. And that then leads to the second thing that leads to big bad debts is when you, you get big unemployment. Because once you've got an AIG falling over, you can just imagine the uncertainty in the environment or an Italy going under. So essentially, you know, the feedback we got from all the visits and Barry's calls and Craig's calls with management that the market is just missing everything that's put into place post 2008-2011 and absent management gave me a very good reminder and we're hearing that everywhere we forget and, and it sounds terrible to talk in these terms but the cleansing effect of COVID is a lot of weaker businesses that went under yeah, sure. people, businesses that were bad at cash management didn't have enough reserves so there's a, a real element of survival of the strongest. And then you've had in and South Africa has been at KwaZulu-Natal riots, the floods. We were just there talking to the guys as well. Uh, you had Comair going under. Uh, and yet the banks are still showing bad debts of only 30 to 50 basis points. 
And it shows the risk mitigation strategies that banks have been almost forced by regulators to employ. Yeah. So, okay, so what are we doing? Uh, being spoiled for choice in terms of we're really focusing still on quality because um, we can get very good quality at low valuation. I mean, Benz or Credit Suisse. And yeah, a lot of clients are asking, well, should, should I be buying Credit Suisse? And you know, why go and buy a business that is very cheap, but the culture is just wrong. You can see in everything that's been happening there, there's a bad culture. It's going to be a long time before we turn around. When you can buy something like Citigroup at the moment, which is now, I think, our second largest holding, um, trading at 0.55 price book. Nigel, this is stupid. Uh, it's doing a return on capital of, of between nine and eleven percent, uh, and the market just focusing on you know the past. But but that management team, I'll be credit Swiss. Hopefully, will be in ten years' time. Sure. For ten years' time, they've been turning the business around. They're disposing of non-core assets. So you know it's that type of thing where we've been adding the whole time to it's now our second largest position. Um, Arch Barry mentioned. I mean, all the companies we invest in, we know very well. In fact, our, our one of the top three is LIC Housing in India, um, that we've been meeting with them since 2003. Yeah. Every year we've been visiting them. They have, for the 22 years, I just checked up before this session again, they've grown the net asset value per share and dividend per share for 22 years every year. <laughs> Yet it's now trading at 0.7. India is the fastest growing country in the world, a nominal growth rate of 12%, yeah, 6% real, 6% inflation. Uh, bad debts are low, but the market is just scared. So gradually what we've been doing is adding with this barrier to Brazil. Again, Brazil reminds me of when we went in 2002-2003, where there's just so much pessimism and the banks, the quality, Ito is amongst the best banks in the world compared to like the first round of South Africa. So we've been adding a bit there also to escape, to reduce Europe a bit. Europe, the banks are cheap, but it is a low growth environment. So whereas the Brazilian banks can uh, do very well and Indian banks and then Indonesia, we haven't even got time to talk about Indonesia. Those are the three countries we're focusing on where backdrop environment is actually still good. You could see strong growth again in those countries and the valuations are low. Maybe a good example quickly is Georgia. We've held the two Georgian banks for at least five years. They really got sold off when Russia invaded Ukraine. Everybody thought they're going to somehow just take Georgia now while they're at it. And um, the Georgian banks have done, I think, 60% uh, upside, gone up 60% in the last, is it five weeks? Uh, amazing performers, and they were just, they were so cheap. And we were looking at each other, each meeting, should we add more? And we said, oh, it's too risky. We added, fortunately, a bit more. It was a 5% position in the fund, so that's fairly big. Yeah. Uh, but Georgia is actually a wonderful country, doing very well. It's got, haven't got the same problems with electricity because they've got uh, hydropower, getting a big benefit from Ukrainian refugees. So, you know, we actually spoil for choice, but slowly keeping Europe uh, low. And we, at each meeting, we say, should we take Europe exposure lower because of the 
potential recession, but my whatever 35 years of experience, I found that always when valuations are this low, the chemicals in your brain start changing and you get too negative, you get too, and then the unexpected happens, you can have a 30% rally sure. before you know it. Sure. So, but if I have to look back in the next few months, we actually reduced Europe gradually a bit, but adding to India, to Brazil, insurance holdings we've kept quite stable. We've also reduced JP Morgan a bit, ING a bit, and then went into counters like City that are even cheaper and and we are meeting show managements are doing very well. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, playing around a little bit with that positioning. I mean, I think I'm always, you know, hopefully the listeners also always comes across when I talk to you guys about you know, the global exposure, the yeah. true global exposure yeah. you have in the fund. You yeah. talk about yeah. countries like Georgia and India and you know, other parts of Europe, et cetera, as well as clearly US and, and UK. Yeah. Um, and the fundamental research bottom-up processes that you go through yeah. and you know what the feedback that we're getting from you today um, you know, is talking and, uh, and is, is aligned with, with what you've been saying for, you know, the last little while um, around how these companies are positioned, how the regulator have driven them to, to, to position themselves the way they have now. And um, all we need is market sentiment to yeah. to catch up, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so thanks, guys. I think let's, let's leave it there. Um, this is, you know, this has been very insightful. So thank you, Ben. Good luck with your recovery, Barry. <laughs> Thanks for your input um, on the insurance and LATAM side. Koki, good luck for the rest of the year. I'm sure we'll do another one before the end of the year. But, uh, you know, like a comrade, you know, it's not a sprint, is it? It's, uh, yeah. It yeah. takes time, it takes patience, and, you yeah. know, hopefully the market catches up. And yeah. We are drummers now, but this is a downhill run. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Perfect. All right. Thanks, guys. Nice to see you all. Cheers yeah. for now. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you found it interesting. If you would like to join us again, please subscribe for more investment insights. To find out more about our team and the funds we offer, please visit our website at denkercapital.com. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of Denker Capital. This podcast does not take the circumstances of a particular person or entity into account and is not advice in relation to an investment. Please do not rely on any information without appropriate advice from an independent financial advisor. The value of investments may go down as well as up, and past performance is not a guide to future performance. Denker Capital is an authorized financial services provider in South Africa. Please visit denkercapital.com forward slash disclaimers for the full disclaimer relating to the global fund mentioned in this episode.